In this week's message from the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to look at the importance of being truthful in a culture of lies. Sadly, uh, lies and deceit have become part of our cultural landscape and it only seems to be getting worse. It's not just tolerated, it's becoming acceptable and even expected. We see it in the news and media, in politics and business, in just about every domain of society. Uh, people will either exaggerate or be economical with the truth uh, to serve their own purposes. Half-truths, white lies, fake news, or just bare-faced lies are now commonplace. We live in a society that seems to have adopted George Costanza's philosophy in Seinfeld, where he said, it's not a lie if you believe it. It means we really don't know who can be trusted. Dr. David Gertsch is a well-known author, college professor, and Christian counselor. He wrote this, when lying becomes common practice, people just assume they're being lied to. As a result, trust in people, organizations, authority figures, and the nation's institutions is undermined. When people cannot trust each other, or the organizations and institutions they depend on, society begins to break down. And that's exactly what we're seeing happening. It's why this subject is so important, because if the church will start to live the Sermon on the Mount, then as Jesus said, she shall truly shine like a light in the darkness and be the salt of the earth. And yet, truthfulness is one of those areas where it's so easy for us to lose our saltiness. You know, when you live in an atmosphere where lying is so commonplace, it starts to become acceptable, even in our own lives. It's what they call creeping normality, because it happens by degrees. You don't even notice it's happening. We become like the proverbial frog in a kettle. I'm sure you've heard that analogy about how you boil a frog. Now, as many of you know, I like frogs. I raise frogs. So I'm not advocating boiling frogs, all right? But they say, if you put a frog in a pan of boiling water, it will just jump out. So what you have to do is put it in tepid water and gradually heat it up and it won't notice. It will just let itself be boiled to death. You see, it's creeping normality and it will kill you. Except, guess what? I found out this week that the old frog in a kettle proverb isn't true. Isn't that ironic? I wanted to use it as an analogy about lying in our culture and I find out it's not true either. The curator of reptiles and amphibians at the National Natural History Museum said, and I quote, it's a load of BS. Frogs don't behave that way. They'll just jump out. Unless, of course, he's lying. But can you see, it just underlines my point. How do you know what to believe or who to believe? It's why the people of God need to be a people of truth. If people can't trust us to be truthful in every area of our lives, why would they trust us when we tell them that God's word is true, right? It's why Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So with all that in mind, let's turn now to Matthew 5 verses 33 to 37 to see what Jesus actually said. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, 
or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So in this example of kingdom living, of what it looks like to live under God's reign, Jesus starts by summarizing Old Testament teaching about making promises or oaths. And as we've seen already with uh, murder and adultery, there's a reference here to the Ten Commandments. Because the third commandment says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Or as Jesus says in our text, do not swear falsely, right? Don't make a false promise in God's name. In Leviticus 19, it expands on this a little when God gives instructions for how his people are to relate to one another. He says, you shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. But as Jesus goes on to say in our text, you shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn, which comes from Deuteronomy 23. It says there, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. So Jesus was reminding people of what had been taught about making vows, making promises to God or in his name, which was not wrong to do. Right? Even God made promises or covenants by his own name. Uh, what was wrong was vowing to do something and then not doing it. But having reminded people of that, Jesus then says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all. So why did he say that? It would seem that God's people loved to make vows. If they wanted to add weight to their words or uh, impress people with their sincerity or uh, convince them of their reliability, they made a vow, a promise. But they didn't want to invoke God's judgment or uh, dishonor his name. So they took his name out of the equation and began swearing by other things so they wouldn't be held to account. In fact, they created kind of different levels of vows, some more serious and binding than others. And if you think about it, people in our own culture do something similar, don't they? Like, uh, uh, I'll give you my pinky promise. Or if I want to be taken more seriously, uh, I promise on my life. Or I, I swear on my mother's grave. We kind of ratchet up depending on how seriously we want to be taken. And of course, if we've been caught lying in the past, we have to resort to the most extreme vow we can think of to get people to believe us. Uh, I, I promise I didn't lie to you on our children's life. You can see the problem, can't you? You can break a pinky promise without real repercussions. It gets more serious as you invoke greater consequences. And that's the problem that Jesus was facing in the culture of first century Judaism. It had become common practice for people to swear by all kinds of things other than God to testify that they would be true to their word. Jesus mentioned some of them here, where people would vow by heaven or earth or by Jerusalem or even the hair on their head. And it became become ridiculous. 
It was the equivalent of a child promising to do something with their fingers crossed behind their backs so they could get out of it, right? No one's word could be trusted. So, as uh, Kent Hughes says in his commentary, Jesus gives them a piece of his divine mind. He says, it makes no difference whether you swear by God Almighty or heaven or earth or Jerusalem, because it all belongs to him anyway. That's essentially what Jesus is saying here. God's throne is in heaven, earth is his footstool, Jerusalem is his city. Even the hairs on your head are under his control. There's nothing you can swear by that's not his. So don't think you can wriggle out of the commitments you make. Right? If a man says he will do something and swears by the hairs on his head and then goes and shaves his head, it doesn't get him off the hook. You see, the Pharisees and scribes have created these uh, loopholes in the law so they could say one thing and do something else. Like in their marriage vows, as we saw last week. To quote Gareth, he said, Jesus is exposing injustice and holding the husband responsible for weaseling out of his vows and creating a situation in which his divorced wife cannot remarry without committing adultery. You see, it was unjust. That's why later on in uh, Matthew 23, Jesus called them out for their deceitfulness in making vows. He says, woe to you, blind guides, because they were misleading people. We cannot be evasive with the truth or lie to people with our fingers crossed and think we can get away with it. It doesn't matter what we swear by. It makes no difference because God is our witness. He hears every word and one day we'll be held accountable for the things we say, whether we swear by something or not. So Jesus says, you may as well refrain from making vows and let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil, or some translations say from the evil one. When we lie or tell half-truths, right, when we're uh, misleading and deceptive, we're being like the evil one, because the Bible says he's a liar and the father of lies. That's his nature. But when we are truthful, we are like God, because God is truth. And that's why you know we cannot create degrees of truthfulness. Either it's true or it's not. So when Jesus says, let what you say be simply yes or no, he is saying, to quote Tim Keller, that every yes or no must be as truthful as if you are swearing on a stack of Bibles on network television. Because God is our witness. He hears every word we say. So Jesus is teaching us here the importance of truthfulness. God's people do not need to swear that they're telling the truth because their word is truth. Now, before we apply this to ourselves, let me just clarify that Jesus wasn't saying you can't make a vow, period. Right? Some Christians have adopted that position, a kind of uh, uh, absolutist interpretation of Jesus's words. I think um, Moravians, certainly Quakers, Amish, Mennonites have all been known to oppose taking an oath that would bind them, including military service, uh, holding government office, and of course, swearing on the Bible. But Jesus was not prohibiting the use of all vows, just misleading ones. 
It's worth noting that the Apostle Paul didn't think it was wrong to appeal to God as his witness on a number of occasions when expressing his heart to a church, right? As God is my witness, he would say. He, like Jesus, would have upheld the Old Testament teaching that when you do make a vow, you don't break it. So, taking an oath, making a vow or promise is permitted on the rare occasion when needed, but not as part of our everyday lives and conversation. We don't need to add to our words, right? The fact that uh, we feel a need to swear by something to get someone to believe us usually means that our ordinary speech cannot be trusted as true. As Helmut Thierleek puts it, if I swear by something, he says, I am saying that people are expecting me to lie from the start. And just because they are counting on my lying, I have to bring up these big guns of oaths and words of honour. People should be able to trust our yes and no, that will be true to our word. Because as people of God, our commitment to truthfulness, integrity and honesty should be evident to all. We should shine like lights in this world. But do we? It's not easy to be totally truthful today, is it? As I said at the beginning, we live in a culture that's full of lies and deception. People routinely lie and cheat to get what they want and to be what they want to be. And according to sociologists, it's increasing. Americans on average tell five lies a day to their partner, boss or colleagues. Uh, people lie about their age, profession, taxes, uh, marital status, golf scores, grades, education, resumes, uh, finances, schedules and their intentions. We lie because we want to be liked and make ourselves look better. We lie to get our way, to manipulate situations or get out of situations. We lie to avoid embarrassment or conflict. We lie because we don't want to hurt other people's feelings. So we skew the truth, right? We tell half-truths or embellish the truth. And it becomes a part of our lives because it's normal in our culture. Companies sell their products through advertising lies and exaggerations, uh, promising a better life if you buy their brand. Politics has evolved from spin doctors to just outright lies to maintain power. And then there is the news and media where nothing seems objective, but it all appears to serve someone's agenda or make money. Diplomats sign treaties that they don't keep. Witnesses commit perjury by lying under oath. Sacred marriage vows are broken over and over again. So it all becomes meaningless. It's no wonder that we find ourselves like a frog in a kettle, accepting it as normality and slowly perishing like the rest of society. Except that's a lie too, isn't it? Frogs don't behave like that. So let Jesus' words wake you up. It's time to jump out of that kettle. Jesus is calling us to be different from the world, to be salt and light, which means living truthful lives, being a people of integrity and honesty. And again, this is a heart issue. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is addressing our hearts. Are we wholehearted? Do we say one thing and then do another? Like the son in the parable Jesus told, who said he'd go and do something and then didn't. Can people trust our word? Is what we think the same as what we say? 
Because if not, that's duplicity. It's why Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites. And if our righteousness is to be greater than the Pharisees, as Jesus said, then we need to be a people of integrity, which means being wholehearted. It means being a person who speaks and acts the same way when no one is looking as when everyone is looking. The same in private as we are in public, because we know God is our witness. And because we love him with all our heart, soul, strength and mind. We're his children. We're made in his image. So being truthful is not only the right thing to do, it's the best way to demonstrate the nature and character of God. He is truth. There is no duplicity in him. With God, you get the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. His yes is yes, and his no is no. And that is what people need to see in us. It's also what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what God was saying in Leviticus 19, where he says, you shall not lie to one another, because he goes on to say, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's why in Ephesians 4.25, the apostle Paul says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Loving God with all our hearts and loving our neighbor as ourselves means being a truthful people, a people of integrity, a people who can be trusted. The world is desperate to know who they can trust today. And as the people of God, we are called to be that people, a people whose yes is yes and whose no is no, a people who will keep their word, a people who are like Jesus. Anything else? comes from the evil one, he says. So, practically speaking, how can we become a people of integrity? How do we apply Jesus's words when he says, whatever you say, be simply yes or no? I think, first of all, we have to admit that we lie. Right? I've been challenged myself about this. Uh, you need to know that when I preach these messages, I'm preaching, first of all, to myself. So I admit, I tell the odd lie. You know, I'll reason with myself. Uh, they're just harmless, you know, they're just, they're just white lies because I don't want to offend someone or I don't want to lose face. Uh, like, I I'm sorry I didn't come to your party, but I didn't feel too good. When actually, I just didn't want to go. I just wanted to sit home and watch Seinfeld instead. Or perhaps it's making empty promises. Uh, like, how many times do you say to someone, you know, I'll be praying for you, and then you don't? Actually, I'm doing better with that one because I've developed the practice of praying right there and then because God convicted me of committing to do something and then not doing it. We shouldn't make commitments we can't keep, but we all do it, don't we? How often have you said yes to something when you should have said no? If we say yes, we need to be true to our word like our word can be trusted or else we should say no. We don't have to qualify it or give reasons or excuses, just let your no be no. So first of all, we should admit that we lie and repent of that, which means uh, agreeing with God that it's from the evil one and that we want to change. Then secondly, ask him to search our hearts as to why we lie. Is it because I have a need to be uh, liked or well thought of? Am I a people pleaser? Uh, do I overcommit? And if so, why? Am I trying to control people? 
or hide from people? Uh, is it because I'm afraid of hurting people? The problem is our sins will often find us out and create an even worse situation. So ask God to search your heart. And then thirdly, ask for his help to be truthful, to be truthful to one another, to spouses and children, uh, employers and employees, colleagues and neighbours. Ask for wisdom in difficult circumstances. Uh, ask for sensitivity. We don't go around telling people the truth because, well, it's the truth. You smell. No, the Bible says we're to speak the truth in love. And that means being sensitive because of love. But we don't fudge it. We make a commitment to truthfulness. No more platitudes and empty promises. No more commitments we can't keep. If we say we'll do something, then we do it. And that will be a battle I know, right? The battle for truthfulness is fought in every yes and every no. Every time we think it won't harm anyone, it's just a little white lie or a little exaggeration, it doesn't add up to much, does it? No, but over time they do all add up. It becomes another pebble on the pile that becomes this mountain of deceit. And one day we'll be held accountable for it. So ask for God's help. As a Christian, you can ask the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, who dwells inside of you, to change you to become more like Jesus. Jesus is calling us to be a people of integrity, a people whose word can be trusted. And when people can trust us in the small things, then they learn that they can trust us in the big things. So that when you have the opportunity to share the truth about Jesus, your words will ring true. Now here are some questions for group discussion. First of all, what are some common lies that people tell? Secondly, why is it sometimes difficult to tell the truth and what are the consequences? Thirdly, what is one area you need to grow in to let your yes be yes and your no be no. And finally, pray for God's help.